William Shakespeare, who I read constantly, William Shakespeare said this, small cheer and great welcome makes a merry feast. And more down my line is uh, Tom Bodette from uh, Motel 6. Uh, we'll leave the light on for you. Uh, I want you to think about how important it is to be welcoming and what that means. Uh, that's why you, you'll notice that uh, I spent a lot of money on this prop, uh, $3.95 at Walmart, aisle seven. So anyway, uh, welcome and the welcome mat and what that means in life is a big deal. Matter of fact, I read this article uh, in Christianity Today and I want to share it with you. Uh, what they did is they did an extensive study uh, on churches that were growing. Neil shared with you how many churches closed their doors every year. But behind the scenes were these churches that are just really growing. So they wanted to get with people who were not uh, at church at all that joined churches to find out why they joined. Like what was the number one priority? And listen to this. Based on the interviews, the first and most important activity of effectively uh, evangelical churches was to offer a welcoming, inclusive environment most importantly on Sunday mornings, but extending to all the endeavors of the church. The majority of the answers from previously unchurched participants uh, circled around that particular feeling. 10 out of 11 of those interviewed highlight their amazement at being welcomed rather than encountering judgment and prejudice. So did you hear that? So folks that were visiting a church after they joined the church, and they said, now, why did you become a part of that? It wasn't about the programming. Uh, it wasn't about the preaching or the worship or anything. You know what it was? I just felt welcome there. Let me tell you, that is a huge deal. Now, here's how we know that's a big deal. Have you ever been to a church that you didn't feel welcome? Don't raise your hand. Don't yell out the churches. But you walk in, and have you ever noticed some of those churches? It's like the person who hands you a bulletin does not even like you. I mean, they just kind of shove it, and it's like, uh, wow. And then you get in, and nobody says anything to you. Uh, we don't want to ever be that kind of a church. Always be looking around. I mean, even uh, all of us, as you look around and you see some folks, and they just kind of look like it's their first time here, uh, go up and greet them and, and just share with them. Uh, give them cash, whatever it takes. But I'm telling you, that being welcome, uh, it's a huge deal. We are, uh, all of us are called to be that welcome mat for Christ. Um, these are some actual welcome mats that I heard of recently. Uh, so as you enter, uh, approach somebody's house, here's some of the welcome mats. Here's one. <laughs> Hope you texted first. That's a nice one. Okay. Friends, welcome. Family by appointment only. Raise your hand if... No, don't do that either. Okay. Don't just stand there, bust a move. That would be great. Okay. Um, we need to understand how important hospitality is. First Peter 4, 8 and 9 says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another. Here's the kicker, without grumbling. And that's not always easy. In fact, that's what we're going to look at this morning, that the welcome mat of the Christian faith is hospitality. So we're going to talk about our heart, we're going to talk about our hands, and we're going to talk about our homes. And all of those matter when you're trying to reach people for Christ in a welcoming way. So let's talk about, first of all, our hearts. 1 John 3.16 says, Whoever has the world's goods 
and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Our hearts need to be open to all people. I heard this the other day, and I, boy, I wrote it down because I'm like, boy, this has stepped on my toes a few times. And it was the definition of character. Here's character. Character is helping people who at the time cannot help you in return. So let me share with you a business phrase I've heard for years, and it's simply this. Um, it doesn't matter what you know, it's who you know. Now, that doesn't apply in church, right? Please. Come on. I mean, every walk of life, we have these times in life where we're battling that. Like our pride is, is this person down the road going to help me? And that should never be what motivates us. Uh, we always step back and say, it doesn't matter whether they can help me or not. Because that's exactly what Christ does. Every day, if you look at how Jesus encountered others, Jesus never went into any relationship with, what can you do for me? It was always the hope and the grace of Christ, and yet that can be hard. Matter of fact, think about how Jesus reached out to the hurting. Jesus reached out to a Pharisee named Nicodemus, and he found truth beyond knowledge. He reached out to a blind man, and he gave him a new life and a new start. He reached out to a man with leprosy, and he gave him back respect. He reached out to a woman with regrets, and he gave her a new future. And he reached out to a tax collector named Zacchaeus, and he directed his finances, and he redirected his priorities. That's what Jesus does. That's how Jesus wants us to be with our hearts. We need to be motivated to have the same love for others as he has. Jesus said, when you forgive, how often do we forgive? Seventy times seventy. Some of you may be walking in here today and you're already ticked off at somebody and said, I can love Jesus, but I'm not, not going to forgive or love. Okay, it doesn't work that way. So we need to have the hearts of Christ. And then we need to have the hands of Christ. 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 and 12 says, Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business. Work with your hands, just as, we told, just as you told us, so that you will not be dependent on anyone. I'd like you to just look at your hands for a second, and I want you to think about this right here on your hands. Uh, first of all, our, our fingers, and our fingers have fingerprints. Everybody, every human being has a different fingerprint. Even if you are an identical twin, you have uh, a unique fingerprint. Now, why did God do that? Uh, I know, to help the FBI, right? <laughs> no, why did it? Because we're fearfully and wonderfully made. He wants all of us to know that we matter. The other thing that's amazing when we look at our hands and our fingers is our body is covered with what they call touch receptors. It identifies what's hot and cold. It identifies pain. Our hands, more than any other uh, part of our entire body, has 3,000 touch receptors. So what's my point? God designed us for touch. God designed us to reach out to one another. I'll just say this as an observation over the last five years. <clears throat> one of the things that I, I kind of enjoy just watching on the west side is um, you are a touchy congregation. I mean, there's a lot of high-fiving and elbowing and hugging and laughing. And, and you know what? I'm glad because I think that's the way of Christ. I think for us to reach out in a powerful way makes a huge difference. On TED Talks, I saw a presentation by Patrick uh, MacGyver, and he talked about 
some major studies that had been done uh, with babies and children who were isolated. In other words, they didn't have very little human touch. One was uh, they did a thorough study with some of the orphanages outside of Germany after World War II. And the other one was the fall of Romania in 1989. And they found long-term effects, physical, brain, emotional development because of lack of touch. Now, we know that when we hold a baby, how important touch is. But that doesn't go away. How important it is for us all to just reach out and realize the power of the human touch. I've talked to people over the years and the devastation they felt and the isolation. Uh, they'll say, you know, I, I can't tell you the last time I've even received a hug or the last time I've ever had somebody even reach out to me. You see, we need to understand the power of touch. Matter of fact, there's a book called Touch by Dr. Tiffany Field who did extensive research about different cultures and the human touch. Now, this is, I thought this was interesting. Do you know that they have proven that the warmer the climate is of a culture, the more they hug and touch? So they said if you live in a, in a Caribbean area, they touch and hug all the time. If you live in a northern area, not so much. I think as you get, don't we identify that with winter? Like, please, I hate my life, don't touch me. You know, I mean, I, we get it, okay? But here's the other thing that's interesting. It isn't just the temperature. It's different countries have more touch than others. So here's what this gal did. I would have loved this job. Uh, she had researchers go all over the world, and they went to coffee shops to register human touch. Uh, so here's what they found. Uh, in one hour, they, they watched people for one hour. And these, were not, these weren't couples dating. These are just friends, OK? So they measured England. Guess how many human touches averaged out in England? Zero. <laughs> wow. That's a bummer. Okay, United States. One or two. One or two. France. You ready for this one? 106. I'm going to France. But here's the other one. This is a kicker. Uh, number one, Puerto Rico. It's like 150. I don't even understand what that even looks like in a coffee shop. But it's amazing that even different cultures understand this powerful thing. Now, here's the other thing that I know. And I, I saw this the other day, this quote, uh, a bumper sticker, and it was good. It says, uh, forget about hugging a tree, hug a human. That's true. The power of that means so much. Now, here's the thing we need to know in the world that we live in. When I talk about Christ, of course, I'm talking about positive touch. I know that there are some here today that you know the effects of abuse. You know the effects of the world's touch. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about Christ. I'm talking about what he does for all of us and the power of that. This was years ago, but my brother-in-law had died unexpectedly, and I, I remember going out to West Virginia, and uh, it was right for a visitation, and I'm sitting there, and, uh, man, I could not... I was just numb. I couldn't, I had no emotion. And, um, and it was such a devastating thing because he was only like 51 years old. And uh, my sister, my sister Janice, uh, she came up and she said, Johnny, give me a hug. And I said, Janice, seriously, man, I don't really feel like hugging right now. You know, and she said, I don't care. And then she held on to me and she said, you need to cry. And I said, I'm not going to cry. She said, I'm gonna, I am going to hug you until you cry. 
And when I started crying, it was, that's why I did, it wasn't that I didn't want to cry. I knew once I started, it was not, I'm not a pretty crier. And I knew it was going to get bad, and it did. Haven't you had those moments in life when you just need someone almost just hold you and just say, yeah, I'm just here for you. I just want you to know that I'm here for you. I want to share with you what I call the tale of two statues and the power of the hands of Christ. After World War II, there was a church in Strasbourg, Germany that was nearly completely wiped out. What was left, though, was this statue of Jesus that was at the altar. But on that statue, somebody had actually taken a sledgehammer to the statue and just destroyed the hands. So they had a decision to make, and that was to get a sculpture to redo the hands. But instead, the leaders of that church decided, no, we're going to leave that statue as is, without hands. But we're going to add a sign. And the sign is this. Christ has no hands but our hands to do his work on earth. You ever think about the fact that we are the hands of Christ? And that's especially true this time of year. Uh, I don't know about you. I, I didn't have a great week. And I was, uh, I was walking through Walmart, and I didn't want to be there. Now, I don't, and then, so as I'm walking around, my first reaction was, people, seriously, you should have thought ahead. You know, or, I mean, I'm just, I'm not happy, you know. And, and then all of a sudden, I just thought, man, I just need to start praying for everybody that I walk across. Because instead of looking at somebody saying, you're in my way, what if I prayed, Lord, whatever it is they're dealing with, just give them strength. And I got in the car, and I'm like, Lord, you don't want me to pray while I'm driving out of, especially Walmart, that left. I mean, come on, Lord. And it's like, no, even that left, you got to pray. And I, I just started praying, Lord, uh, be with the people that I come in. And it's interesting, things just slowly started to change. In fact, as I'd see someone, I would think, I bet, I bet this is hard. Uh, going to Steak and Shake, I thought, I bet you don't just love your job this time of year. I mean, I bet sometimes when you go home, you, you have pain and stress. We have such an opportunity every day to be the hands of Jesus Christ. And then the most famous statue of all in the United States is the Statue of Liberty. And you know the famous phrase, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. In the right hand of the Statue of Liberty is the torch, which is the light of freedom. And the left hand is just simply that scroll that reads July 4th, 1976. But I started thinking about, did I say 19? That was a good year. That was a bicentennial. 1776. Good catch there, Michael. Yeah. Jesus loved people even in 1976. Okay. But I want you to think about how important it is in life, just like that. I, I think about all these people, countless people that came over to the United States. And can you imagine as they would look up and they saw for the first time the Statue of Liberty, do you think they reached out and hugged one another and laughed and cried? Absolutely. That's what Christ will do for us. I mean, when people really come to the realization that they're free in Christ, it changes everything. And then last of all is to open up our home. Hebrews 13, 2, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Uh, I'm embarrassed to say this. In the King James, I think it says to give hospitality to angels unaware. And when I was a kid, 
When I was a kid, I asked my mom, what's up with the angels in the underwear? I, I literally wasn't a sharp kid, but I, I want you to know about why this is a big deal. And some people, it's interesting, will even ask me, John, do you think that God still has angels today? And I got to be honest with you. Yes. Okay. I do. I think God can do anything at any time. He, he has mysterious ways. And I think all of us, if we look back, we've probably had encounters in our life. We're like, that was really unique, that encounter. Angel actually just means messenger. So whether or not he's talking about literal angels or he's using angels as a metaphor, it's the same thing. What he's saying is, can you imagine every day if you looked at your home and everybody that walked in your home, you thought that could be an angel. Would we treat them differently? It's happened to me. People approach me and they say, Johnny, angel. <laughs> That's not true at all. Okay, I just mentioned. But I want you to think about, would that change? Would that change the way you treat people if you thought they were a heavenly messenger? Well, absolutely it would change. When I did some research on the early church, this is really important. The early church didn't have a big building that they came to. And what happened was persecution was so intense that they were literally uh, slaughtered, and then those who survived lost everything. They would have to go to a whole other community. So when they would travel to another community, where were they going to stay? And now you know the answer. Homes. And what was amazing is they couldn't believe how Christianity had this groundswell of growth without money or buildings. How did they do that? Because they threw open their doors and said, your home is my home. Folks, it happened in China right after World War II. They thought they had eliminated Christianity. Decades went by, and it was in the millions. And they said, how did this happen? Guess how it happened? House churches. You're not going to stop Jesus if you take away buildings. You're not going to stop Jesus. I don't mean that. It sounds political. Okay, let's say the government takes all our taxes away and blah, 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 blah. Guess what? The church will live because of Jesus Christ. And if it's forced to worship in homes, then they worship in homes. But that's what he said. When your home is God's home, think of the difference that you can make. I'm so proud of so many of you who've allowed your homes to be a ministry tool. Uh, think of the life groups. I think those of you who've taken on foster children, those of you who have adopted, I think of Backyard VBX. I could go on and on and on. So I want you to write this question down. It's a two-fold question. And I'd love for you to pray about it in your home. Number one, what can I do with my home? What can I do with my home? The second question is, what can I do through my home? Now, here's what I mean by with my home. You may have a home and you're wide open. You want folks to come in and out, and that's great. But you may also may be in a situation like, I don't know that I want a lot of people coming in my home. Am I a bad person? And the answer is absolutely not. No. Then you need to ask, what can I do through my home? How can I bless others with things that I do in my home? Writing letters to others. Baking for others. Uh, I knew one guy, he used his garage to fix bikes for kids who were struggling in his neighborhood. There's countless ways that you can allow your home to be open to others, and there's countless ways you can work through your home. I've shared before that one of the people 
in my life that has had a huge impact uh, uh, was my mother-in-law. And I've also shared I've never told a mother-in-law joke because of my mother-in-law. She was uh, an amazing woman. And what I loved is how she treated her home. Her home was everybody's home. She had people over all the time. And it didn't matter whether it was the holidays, it didn't matter if it was after church Sunday. And the only thing that used to frustrate my mother-in-law about her home and other people's homes is if people had a big home and they didn't have people over, that frustrated her. She's, she didn't want a nice home. She wanted a bigger home to have more people. And I think how important it is that we realize that our homes even have an opportunity to demonstrate the love of Jesus Christ. One of my favorite stories about a home is in Matthew 9, and uh, it's in verses 9 through 13. It's when Jesus encounters uh, a tax collector named Matthew. He simply says, follow me. But what's even more impressive is when you get to verse 10, and the text is up here behind me, and immediately Matthew doesn't know what else to do other than, hey, Jesus, throwing a party at my house, bringing over my friends, would you come hang out with me? And what did Jesus do? No, Matthew... Let me give you a book on 10 ways to follow me. You know, let me, let me tell you a nice little church you need to go to. He's like, no, Matthew, I'm, I'm going to come to your house. I can't wait. And you remember who was upset? The Pharisees, like Jesus. Why are you hanging out with this guy? Why are you in there? And I think Jesus' response is, why are you out there? I mean, who really needs healing? It's people who are sick. I mean, who needs to be fixed? It's people that are broken. Why are you standing out here? Why aren't you letting them in your home? I think it's the same challenge for us. How do we allow God to take care of every area of our life? I remember, I want to close with this. Is, um, this is from uh, years ago. This was in 1966. It was a guidepost uh, article. And it got so much traction. People loved it so much that it eventually became a TV movie. Uh, and the movie was terrible. But this little article is based on a true story. And you can absolutely see this happening. Uh, how many of you, I asked for service, and there's quite a few. How many of you have ever been in a church play of any kind that you were part of the nativity? You were either Mary, Joseph, shepherds, anyone? Good. Few people that are scarred. So you know what that's like. You have this Christmas program. Sometimes all you have to do is stand there, and then sometimes people will write the lines. And uh, so this was a church. They decided to write lines. And you can always tell kids programming where the adults wrote the lines, okay? Because you know, no kid in their right mind would say this. But so this is one of those type programs. And so they were trying to give every kid a part. And they had a, a nine-year-old little guy. You can tell this is 1966. His name is Wally, okay? His brother's Beaver. Perhaps you've heard of him. So, so here's Wally. And uh, I want to just read with you uh, some of the lines out of this live nativity. Uh, it says, And then the time came, and Joseph appeared, slowly and tenderly guiding Mary to the door of the inn. Joseph knocked on the wooden door set and to the painted backdrop uh, with a doorknob painted on it. And he responded to him. Uh, the innkeeper said, Wally, what do you want? And Joseph replied, we, any, what kid would say, we seek lodging. Looking straight ahead, Wally spoke awkwardly, but uh, vicariously he said, seek it elsewhere. The inn is filled. 
And uh, he's doing great. Joseph answered, but we are seeking lodging. Please help my wife, Mary. Sir, he asked in vain, we've traveled very far and we're weary. And the innkeeper once again said, no, you must leave. You must depart. Okay? Uh, there's no room for you. And so they slowly turned and started to walk away. And that little guy had hit him. This is wrong. I can't believe this. And he completely walked out of character. And then he yelled in the mic as loud as he could, Don't go, Joseph. Bring Mary back. And then with a big smile, he said, She can have my room. That's what it's all about. And it stopped. Half the people were like, I knew that kid would screw it up. And the other half was like, I think he got it right. I think he did. We all have this amazing opportunity. And I think about the world. How did they welcome Jesus? We didn't do a very good job. We can do something about that. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.